0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR.
1: The fun new series, Colin from Accounts, is part raunchy comedy, part romantic comedy, part friendship story, and part... Very cute dog.
2: It begins with two strangers having a terrible day that winds up tangling
1: them together, no matter how hard they sometimes try to get untangled. I'm Glenn Weldon. And I'm Linda Holmes, and today we're talking about Colin from Accounts on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR.
3: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, one of the largest recipients of NIH funding. Dana-Farber scientists played a substantial role in developing more than half the cancer drugs approved by the FDA in the last five years, data through 2022. They've made one advanced cancer discovery after another for over 75 years. Dana-Farber Cancer Institute is changing lives everywhere. More at DanaFarber.org everywhere.
0: This message comes from Capital One
1: Here with me and Glenn today is Margaret H. Willison, faculty with Not Sorry Productions. Welcome back, Margaret. Hi, you guys. I'm so excited to be here. We are always excited to have you. (laughs) Colin from Accounts is an Australian comedy series created by and starring the real-life married couple Harriet Dyer and Patrick Brammel. They play Ashley and Gordon. She's about to turn 30 and is in medical school. He's a little older and runs a brewery. And one day, a chance meeting results in an injury mm, to an adorable little dog for whom they reluctantly decide to take joint responsibility. Their friends and family are around to be alternately intrigued and concerned about their strange bond. And their little dog is depending on them to keep it together. Colin from Accounts is streaming now on Paramount+. Plus. Glenn, you were one of two friends of mine who told me within about a 24-hour period to watch this show. Uh Um, Mm -hmm. So I know that you enjoyed it. Tell me about uh, why this hit for you. Yeah,
2: it was odd, because it's a rom-com, and that's usually not my bag. But then I realized (laughs) Uh I wasn't watching it as a rom-com. I was watching it as a com, as a hang, as a vibe. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't, as a rule, concern myself with what heterosexuals get up to. It's none of my (laughs) business. So you know they're going to get together but I just wanted to hang out with these people. And it was also a bit unusual for me because usually in comedies, I like joke density. I like crisp, snappy dialogue. This isn't that. This is much shaggier. I was here for the way they just kind of react to each other, I guess, because Brammel, in particular does this thing where he starts saying one thing and then gets a look of fear on his face and then mm-hmm. channels it into saying mm-hmm. something else. Mm-hmm. I could watch that all day. Um,
1: also, So handsome.
2: Yeah, sure, sure. And as has been much discussed, Australian humor is earthier than American humor, I think. <laughs> so the pilot alone has a poop bit, a pee bit, and a fart bit. I could have had them Coco Chanel that a little bit. I could have had them remove one <laughs> yeah, scatological yeah. accessory before leaving for the day.
1: I get that. Uh, but I'm along for the ride. I'm looking forward to season two. Yeah, and I will say, I think those bits become, after the that first episode, a little less right. frequent. I don't think they keep it up at quite that pace, although there's certainly some of it. Margaret, what did you think about this one?
4: Oh, I enjoyed it so much. It really is in the tradition of, I would say, both catastrophe, uh-huh. which I adore. Yes, yes. And you're the worst. Sure. Oh, good, good Paul. And those three things, together with my, to many, inexplicable antipathy to Sleepless in Seattle, uh-huh. have made me realize that like, I might like romantic comedies better when the romantic comedy knows its main characters are jerks, right? Like, not all the time, not to everybody, on good principles, but, like, not always perfect people. Like, I think if you make it a little hard to like the characters, coming to like them and then watching them like one another
1: is so satisfying for me. And I think this show does that super, super, super well. Right. Well, and I think that, like, when you set up a romantic story where – The two people are, as you say, jerks. We could use other language. We won't. Mm -hmm. You also put them in a position where not everybody likes them. Do you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. you get the feeling that one of the ways in which they're well-matched is that neither one of these people is to everyone's taste. For slightly (laughs) different reasons. She's kind of – Gosh, what do I even want to say? He's more of a mope mm-hmm. at times, and mm-hmm. she's more of a the opposite of a mope. She's kind <laughs> of out there and, like, partying and all that stuff. And the other thing I really liked about this relationship is that I really liked how they handled the age difference. Now, yeah. in real life, she's 35 and he's 47, according to my internet research. Mm-hmm. and. So, you know, they're but they're playing her younger, and I would say they're playing him. All they say is 40s, I think, about him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as in real life, it's not an age difference that would make you think, yuck, right? Like that she's right. she's old enough that you don't feel like the fact that he's significantly older introduces much in the way of power dynamics or anything like that. <laughs> but yeah. it does have this really interesting effect where, like, because she's turning 30 – She's right in this place where she's kind of transitioning out of her 20s. And there is an episode on her 30th birthday that deals with the fact that, like, when you're in your 20s, you want to have a certain kind of night out that by the time you're in your 40s, and obviously these things are not universal. Plenty of people in their 20s are not partiers. putting people in their 40s are partiers. For a lot of people, I think there is a, a kind of wild night out That in your 20s seems incredibly fun and in your 40s just seems exhausting. (laughs) So they make the age difference, not just the age difference itself, even though they talk about it a little bit and her friends comment on it and his friends comment on it. But Mm -hmm. it's more like it's how it changes what their interests are, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, I like that we're finally at a place where when an older guy and a younger woman hook up, there's attention paid to the age gap instead of pretending it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. We're no longer mm-hmm. pretending it's the norm. It's weird and it's <laughs> difficult. And that episode you're talking about is maybe my favorite because it features some of her terrible friends. Her, to be honest, to be fair, <laughs> <So bad>. cartoonishly
0: <laughs> terrible yeah. friends. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. you guys mm. tapas? Tapas? Oh,
3: no, it's actually pronounced Tappas. Tapas.
0: Is it? Uh, no, uh, no. But I do have a menu of wonderful things that we worked on that we can maybe. Why don't we just get from?
3: like food delivered in? Like, why yeah. don't we just do
0: that? We like, can't
3: things. do that, unfortunately. Oh, rude!
2: Me. I was worried it was going to uh, get a little a millennials with their avocado toast adjacent, <laughs> but I think because they're not really there as characters, and I'm glad we didn't get anything to humanize them, because they're there to make Gordon, the character played by Bramwell, profoundly uncomfortable. He, he's just so appealing when he is <laughs> struggling. And that's that was my favorite part of the show.
4: I think my favorite episode was the one right before that. There are two birthday episodes for Ashley. The first birthday episode is she is going home to her <laughs> terrible mm-hmm. but ostensibly mm-hmm. loving mother and yep. her mm-hmm. absolutely appalling stepfather. Yep. And they are experiencing just like the grimmest family dinner of all mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And you're watching them try to cope with, like, wanting to get the best out of it, but also being horrified by what's occurring. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. What I love about that episode, I'm so glad you mentioned that episode with her family, Margaret, because the thing about a romantic comedy, especially one that has some, uh, as Glenn mentioned, the some poop humor and some pee (laughs) humor and things like that, you still have to ground it, for me, in something genuine, in something where you genuinely feel that there is some true affection developing between these people. And it has to be based on something more relatable than whatever the kind of wacky way that they meet is. And you really get a sense in that episode that he is becoming very kind of concerned for her feelings. And also in that way that when you meet people's families, you understand them way better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Which is, I think, I find always true. And I think when he meets her family, it kind of makes her click into place for him a little bit. There's a lot of kindness in that episode that, to me, helps take a little bit of the edge off of how misanthropic The show sometimes is about certain things and how many people on it are unpleasant. You know, his ex is unpleasant, her ex is unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And I, I did really appreciate that that episode, I think, gave it some emotional heft.
2: Yeah because he does stand up to her mother on on her behalf. So yeah, in one sense I guess you could say he's white knighting.
4: But in such a gentle believable way.
2: Yeah, he's right? he's not he doesn't right. tell her about it afterwards. So he's not Mm-mm. trading on it in any way, which I guess Mm-mm. is the bar, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think he does it in a way where he genuinely comes across when he is defending her and this is when she mm. when she's not there, mm. right? right? When he is defending her to her mother. He does it in a way where you really get the feeling that what he would like to see happen is for her mother to understand what he's saying. It's not just a matter of, like, I want to tell off her mother and, like, make a big show of it. He genuinely is trying to explain to her mother what is wrong with the way her mother approaches (laughs) her.
0: I completely understand showing me the embarrassing home videos and making jokes about how hard labor was. And, you know, I get all that completely. But you don't – you never balance it out at all. I mean – Apart from what you said privately to me in the kitchen, I haven't heard a single positive thing about Ashley or to Ashley the entire night.
1: And I think that is easier for me to take than if it had just been he gets up and just insults the mother. And even though there's part of you that kind of wants that at that moment. Right. My sense is he would really like the mother to get the point he's trying to make. Yeah.
4: That moment with Gordon is one of my favorite Gordon moments. And I think the moment when I really got on board with them as a potential couple is in one of the early episodes, maybe I think episode two, when Gordon is like bringing home a date back to the house where like Ashley has kind of moved in, but he doesn't like the date and there's good reason. She's pretty terrible, but she won't leave. Mm-hmm. And they just start a long improv bit together as brother and sister, Mm -hmm. where they are trying to create a circumstance where their bond is going to be so weird to this woman that she will finally leave.
3: So where'd you guys grow up? Adelaide. Then Adelaide. Melbourne
0: first, then Adelaide. Yeah. Because, but we had to move around a lot as kids. We had to because of dad's...
4: Ankles. (laughs) (laughs)
0: they call him fat ankle joe uh, and and they laughed him out of the navy <laughs> so and we, we couldn't
4: watching how much fun they are clearly having with each oh, other in that process and watching how much fun they're having sort of like Setting a slightly challenging thing to incorporate for the other person and then having the other person do it Mm -hmm. is really, really fun. And you're like, oh, I'm into these two.
2: That's when they overcame something that in the first episode kind of distanced me from it. And maybe, Margaret, to your point, it kind of speaks to why I thought maybe they're jerks sometimes. (laughs) I mean, in the premise of this show, there is something that didn't track for me, which is that she should not pay a dime. <laughs> and, and there should be no discussion about whether or not she pays a dime.
1: Glenn's well, talking about for what happens to the dog.
2: Right. So <laughs> what happens to the dog, she flashed him her boob. He uh, ran over the dog. Now, if that boob was a car crash, if he was rubbernecking, the car crash would not be liable in any way. Now, I understand it's believable <laughs> that she would feel partly responsible emotionally, but not fiscally. And that's what I I couldn't figure out why this was even a discussion. They do address that eventually, much to my relief. But man, that was like, am I reading this wrong? The other thing is she's the one who can't bring herself to put the dog down. Yeah, like He's willing to be
1: like, we don't have $12,000. The dog has to die. I think that's how it was justifiable to me, is that she's the one who says we cannot Have the dog euthanized. Although I agree, I agree with you, Glenn. Other than the fact that, like, it is not super smart to distract someone who's driving a car on purpose, you are right it is really his fault. Uh I was very impressed with how they navigated out of the very grim beginning of this show Uh (laughs) because my other friend besides you, Glenn, who told me to watch this said, like, I have to tell you, there's a dog who gets hit by a car in the first episode and you should know that before you watch it. Mm -hmm. It, That's a very tough thing to overcome. (laughs) I think I also respected the fact that there are for sure moments in this. And I think you mentioned Margaret catastrophe and you're the worst. I think this is mm-hmm. true of these shows too. You do have moments during this where you're like, I am not a hundred percent sure that this relationship is a good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is a daring thing to do in something that is foundationally a romantic comedy, because typically what you want to push for is the feeling that like, these people are going to be happy. They're made for each other, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I just think it's so funny that they keep these people so off balance because there is it's not like in this relationship there's one normal person and one weird person Uh they're just both very odd in different ways
4: i liked earlier how difficult it was for you to sort of express the weirdness of the character of ashley Uh because i think that speaks to the fact that it is a lot more specific and complicated she's not a type yeah she's not a type and there's this one scene that I really think illustrates that so beautifully and gives you this like quick insight into her character. They are running a trivia night at uh, Gordon's Brewery, and she's a medical student. They're like, "Oh well, like, what's a what's a medical fact? Like, give us give us a piece of trivia. What's
2: that? The cerebral cortex. Maybe I could add in a question.
4: Oh well, it's it's all folded up to maximize surface area. But I mean, if you did unfold it, it's like a twenty inch pizza. It's
2: so a large.
4: No, it's like an extra large. I think Pizza Heart only goes to like 14 inches. And what I loved about that is that it sort of shows like both poles, right? It shows that she does have this like deep store of medical knowledge. She is actually good at what she's in school right, for. Right, she's smart. <laughs> but she also has sort of like trash knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there isn't necessarily a good like filtering system for them. They're all just kind of swimming around in there together. Right. And it gives you just a very specific sense of her as a real person and a character that I like
1: loved. Yeah. I also want to mention a couple of other people in the cast who I very much enjoyed. Um, Her best friend, Megan, is played by Emma Harvey. And I think that character is, again, not a type. Mm -hmm. Totally.
2: You can't imagine her ever saying, go to him. No. And I, I like that about her.
1: And I also want to shout out Michael Logo, who plays Brett, who is one of the guys at the brewery, who to me is just one of those, you know, I've said before in action movies, That sometimes the guy I like the most is the guy who stays in the van. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Logo, as Brett here, is basically playing the comedy series equivalent of the guy who stays in the van. I don't know how to explain that, but if you see it, you'll know what I mean. Uh He's just like strange and he says really funny, odd things and the delivery is just, it is sublime. (laughs) But he's just like such an odd duck. I love him.
2: And uh, Genevieve Higney, who plays Kiara, uh, who is uh, their partner in the bar, uh, you needed her in there just because she she gets to do her own stuff. But also she is the only reason this bar exists because right, exactly. the, these people <laughs> would go under in a heartbeat.
1: Yeah. I think if you liked Catastrophe, if you liked You're the Worst, it, you know, if you liked some of the, the romantic comedy elements of these other kind of offbeat shows that have been coming out over the last 10 or 15 years – um definitely give it a shot it's again it's on paramount plus it comes from australia so you can hear charming <laughs> charming australians do a lot of very good comedic work and please if you watch it let us know what you think about colin from accounts by the way you will find out why it's called colin from accounts even though neither of these people is named colin but we want to know what you think about Colin from Accounts. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Margaret Willison, Glenn Weldon, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This episode was produced by Romel Wood and edited by Mike Cassif Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow.
3: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR.
0: This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First, every day. Listen every morning, wherever you get your podcasts.